Episode 81, Finding Yourself by Finding Your Passion with Chris Tabish. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you. So you can live Life Amplified. Hobbies are generally one of the first things we throw out the window once we get into adult mode. Life becomes about chopping wood, carrying water, earning the paycheck, taking care of the family, and so many times our creative interests get thrown out the window. However, there's a lot of research out there that says enjoyable activities performed during leisure time are associated with lower blood pressure, lower cortisol levels, lower waist circumference and body mass index, as well as perceptions of better physical function. When we find our thing and make time for it, that's also correlated with higher levels of positive psychosocial states and lower levels of depression. As Albert Einstein put it, creativity is intelligence having fun, and couldn't we all use a little more fun in our life? That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to my new friend, Chris Tabish. During the day, Chris is the co-founder of Venture West Consulting in Silicon Valley, whose mission is to help organizations create meaningful strategies and bring them to reality. However, in the evenings, Chris is a stand-up comedian who's been active as a performer since 2010 and continues continues to perform his act all over the San Francisco Bay Area. And as you'll find out in this interview today, connecting with his passion not only saved his marriage, but has also made him a more effective leader. Chris is the author of the book Comediology, Be More Effective and Fulfilled in Business with Comedy. Some of the topics Chris and I discussed this week are why owning who you are is the ultimate tool to bring true happiness to your life. We'll talk about the power of the effort moment and how you can leverage a sense of desperation to take massive, inspired new action towards the life you want. Chris will tell us how the why in your life is so much more important than what you want to accomplish. We'll talk about why blowing up your current career might not be the right move for you and how a creative outlet could make all the difference in your daily happiness. He'll also talk about building the right environment around you to change yourself and your situation. Why the process of finding yourself can be just as powerful and fun as getting to where you want to be. We'll discuss how the fear of failure isn't necessarily what you think it is, why you should recognize your success and give yourself more credit for what you've accomplished, and how the fundamentals of comedy can actually be a way for you to build better connections with your co-workers. If you're enjoying the conversation this week, you can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. And don't forget, we're in the final days of our contest for you to win that new pair of Apple AirPods. All you have to do is leave us an honest review up on Apple. Be sure to screenshot it before you click submit. Send it to me, dan at creativesoulcoaching.net. Every single new rating and review that we get, I'm going to make a donation to Feeding America that is going to help feed 165 hungry people. Plus, we'll get you in the drawing for your choice of those Apple AirPods or an Amazon gift card. Shout out to Joshua Abel, who left an incredible review. Joshua said when he found the podcast, he was in a 
soul-sucking job as a server, feeling useless and worthless, and drinking myself to death. He said, a little more than three months ago, I found myself in jail and at the lowest point of my life, but it turned out to be a blessing because I was finally able to get sober and with a clear head started to piece my life back together. I've always known I was meant for great things, but just didn't know what my purpose was. He says, about a month ago, I was scrolling through the iHeartRadio app and Dan popped up into my life. His opener, where he mentions being successful, overweight, and unfulfilled, really struck a chord in me. This is exactly how I was feeling. So I started binging on episodes, and he says he started a brand new video blog about his journey to sobriety. He's on a path to live a more amplified life and wants to use the knowledge he's getting from the podcast to serve others. Joshua, I almost cried when I read that review. Thank you so much for your kind words, and I am so proud of your journey. Congratulations on your sobriety, and know that you are blazing a path and inspiring other people to do the same. So I love you for listening, my man. That means the world. And would love to hear your feedback. As always, you can leave those reviews up on Apple or the iHeartRadio app. Send them to me. We'll get you in the drawing for that new pair of Apple AirPods. In the meantime, Chris Tabish is going to teach you how to find yourself through finding your passion this week on Life Amplified. Chris Tabish, welcome to Life Amplified, my friend. Thanks, Dan. Great to be here. Thanks again for accepting the bribe, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, my my dog needs to eat, man. It's all good. Um, Take me back to 2010. Because I know that you say you found stand-up comedy out of desperation. And there are so many people who are just going through the motions with, like, just emotionally soul-sucking job. But there's a lot of people, too, that wouldn't think that you would be desperate being in a high-paying, almost C-level executive position in Silicon Valley. So just give me the background. Where were you at? What was going on? And why the desperation to find another outlet? Yeah, and thanks for starting off taking me that dark moment. Dan. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> right into the deep end of the pool. Let's go. <laughs> I was. I was working at a Fortune 500 company. And, you know, I remember having this thought. It, it was like every day when I walked into work, you know, this 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 wrenching in my gut. And even though I was a, I was a great performer in terms of high reviews, but I had this just this feeling that any time I was going to get a call and they're like, and I talk about this in the book that, okay, they're in the plane and they're ready to jump. You've got the parachutes, right? And I'm like, wait a minute. I was supposed to fold the parachutes? I can't even fold a blanket. Like That's, <laughs> that's how I felt. And, and it was just this feeling of paranoia. I remember actually seriously considering going and talking to a counselor. Now, it's funny. Even just, what, nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, the stigma of going to see a counselor, it seems pretty ubiquitous now. People go see a counselor or no problem. Back then, there was still a little paranoia. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. okay, well, it's on the company insurance. I could go. But then it would kind of uh, leave a mark on my record. I mean, these are these are the dark thoughts. And when you're going through a hard time, you tend to feel like the walls are closing in and you tend to have paranoid thoughts. And that's kind of where I was. And comedy, as odd as it sounds, was one place I could go where I could say all my problems and, you know, they didn't know my employee number. So... <laughs> That's, sure. It was kind of this relief. It was fun. And 
it kind of opened up and, and let in some light energy. I love that because one of the people that we've interviewed on the podcast before is Paul Mercurio, who is a stand-up comic and one of the writers for Colbert. And he talked about the same thing, working at this white shoe law firm and almost keeping a double life. Like he wouldn't even let his, well, his girlfriend at the time, his wife now, know that he was going out to these clubs at late at night and just looking for some way to give himself like permission to speak because he was so constricted by the corporate environment. How long had you been wrestling with it? And, you know, a lot of people try all sorts of things. They're like, well, I'll go to yoga class or I'll go to meditate or I'll join a gym. What was it about stand-up comedy that was the draw for you? I actually always loved stand-up. I remember as a kid, always wanting to do stand-up, always wanting to make people laugh. It really brought me joy. In 2010, I actually had a, a death in my family. My, my nephew of 18 years old, had passed away and woke me up to the point where it's like, hey, you could do this all your life and not give this a try, but life's short. I mean, 18 years old, and it's like, this could happen, and it made it real for me. Everybody's got the ethic point, you know, where the pain of staying where they're at just becomes too much, and they know that they need to make a change. What was the point for you? Was it a decision to walk away from the job and actually pursue comedy full-time, or was it, I've got to get out of this job and do my own thing, and this is just an outlet? How did all that come about? I remember it distinctly. I remember coming home from work. I remember thinking, if if I get hit by a bus today, this is this is how bad it is. If I got hit by a bus today on the way to work, I wouldn't have to go to staff meeting. Like yeah. that's how bad it was. And I remember coming home and my wife, who's very supportive, very level-headed. There was kind of a mark in the door, and and we have three kids. And I was like, wow, what happened? Did one of the kids? take it out on the door what's going on and she said well it was actually me she goes i'm so frustrated feeling your frustration that i just slammed the door really hard and it pretty much uh, was done with the door and it made me realize you know i'm i'm going to work i'm making good money but why am i doing this really the reason i was doing this is to support my family so my kids we grew up we didn't have we were the electricity was cut off every other month we just didn't have a lot of money and so i wanted to provide an opportunity to my kids and that's why i was doing them you know saving money giving them, you know, a foundation for college, et cetera. And then I thought about, well, I'm doing this so they could be what? You know, just just like me? Sure. And that that is the point that it hit me. It's like, oh, my gosh, if, if I want them to go after their dreams, I have to go after my dreams. I have to give them an example. That's way more powerful and motivating than it is to, here's some money, go to college and be miserable just like I was. A good question for anybody to ask, why are you in the career that you're in? So many people, as we've discussed, they're in a career where, you know, they were chasing money. They're in a career where they followed a parent's footsteps. They're in a career. I talked to people who were literally in a career because they didn't know what they wanted to do and followed their best friend to college and took the exact same major and, you know, landed into a career that they just fell into it that they didn't even want. So the number one factor when you look at all the research that determines people's workplace satisfaction is are they doing Doing something that's meaningful to them. So I would think this is just a great starting process, yes, within the context of an organization, but for the person listening right now who's also in that soul-sucking job and coming home to the door that has the divot in the front because their partner is frustrated by watching them be frustrated is, why do I do this work in the first place? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. I truly believe as, as a society, we're kind of missing the mark. And what I mean by that is, 
looking outside of ourselves for answers. I think initially we start with a why. There are things that we love to do when we're completely uninhibited. And maybe if we look to ourselves as children, what are those things that we really loved? What are those things that brought us joy? And then as we get older, all of a sudden we start to compare our what's, right? We start to look at, hey, uh, Bill's going to college. Well, what college is Bill going to? And I'm not going to that good of a college. And then, and then Jenny gets a job and then and then Jenny got a great job. I, you know, I, boy, I, she's in technology. I better get in technology. And we start to get caught up in this what versus what rat race. And it's completely outside of ourselves. And it's completely on a comparison of the what's. And the what's ultimately don't bring us joy. They don't bring us fulfillment. And so when you, you look at that thing that really sparks your interest inside, and that's actually whether it be comedy, comedy just happened to be a catalyst for me. But what comedy did for me is it forced me to have a point of view. You can't get up on stage and just be like, whoa, so what do you guys think? <laughs> you got to have an opinion, you know? Um, uh, I don't eat meat because uh, it's got too much blood pressure. I mean, obviously humor there, but but you need to start with the point of view, your point of view. You can't get away in comedy with following the herd. And so finding yourself, finding your point of view, being authentic with that point of view is the path for comedy. There is no other way. And But now I've learned that that is the path for a fulfilled and fun life. Likewise, there is no other way if you're looking for fun and fulfillment. A lot of times people come to me because they think the ultimate answer is I've got to completely reinvent my career. I got to invent, I've either got to start my own business, I have to completely change lanes and go over here and do this other thing. And for some people, that is the right idea. That's the path that I took. I started a business in a completely different world, you know, in terms of coaching and self-help than I was doing when I was playing Justin Bieber songs on the radio for 15-year-olds. Uh, and I've seen people make these massive transitions. But is it possible that sometimes the answer isn't even a new career? It's just bringing a new version of yourself to the existing career? Because it seems like that's a little bit of what I'm hearing from you today. Well, I, I would say if you're in the 8-track and video cassette business, probably not. For everybody else, I'm glad you're bringing it up because that's exactly what I've done. I, I still do the same thing, the same what I've done before, but I come at it from a, a different approach. I think anything that you do, I don't think a what is going to solve that. I don't think you know getting from the entertainment business into the technology business is going to be a cure. I've witnessed that. I've tried that myself. The only answer is is getting through to yourself. And I think once you figure that out, once you kind of get in touch with your own uh, point of view, your own what's what's bubbling up inside of you, it will kind of point the direction. It's kind of a slow process. It's an organic process. It's not a, hey, I'm going to apply for a position at Google. And it's not, it, it's more, it's going to take time. And it's more kind of eroding what I think we've learned to getting at what is the core of us. But in mm -hmm. my experience, once you find that core, it sort of points the way. And, and the way is, it's funny because in my experience, the way is a little it's a little scary. It's a little frightening. If I, when I started this process, I was so afraid to even demonstrate to anybody or, or tell anybody that I did stand-up comedy that I had to use a false identity. And now I'm out here talking and 
publishing a book about comediology. I would have never imagined that. But it, it, it points you the way, the way and, and kind of going at your own pace, but you know that direction and something more profound and more, quite frankly, beautiful, at least to yourself, than you would have imagined starts to unfold. And you just have to be patient with yourself, but enjoying the process, enjoying the process of finding you. And because that's, in my opinion, and sharing that with the world is the greatest gift you can give in this lifetime. Tell me about the importance of failure along the way, because one of the big things, if you're going up as a stand-up comedian, and I'm sure this is true of like the top-level people, right? The Jerry Seinfelds, the Anthony Jeselniks, think of the people who are at the top level right now. Before they're going and recording the Netflix special, they're showing up at you know the comedy store and doing a midnight set and just trying out new material, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. You know, and this is true even for the top level people. They're they're in there, they're refining the craft. I would have to think, you know, one of the big things that keeps people stuck is oh my god, the fear of failure. If I fail, you know, my family will abandon me, people will judge me. Has stand up forced you to go up and, and bomb a few times and become comfortable with failure to move yourself forward? I actually think stand up is all about failing in front of people. And I've gotten really good at that, by the way. <laughs> you know, when I first started out stand-up, and I think a lot of people go through this when they start stand-up, all of a sudden they're being judged and they're you know, not being laughed at or worse yet being you know, called out on stage. I think what happens is uh, it, one of two things. Either you're like, oh, this is horrible. People think I'm a horrible person, and you kind of give up the ghost. And so I went through that, and I actually took a hiatus because it was making me miserable to have people think – that I was a horrible person, right? That I wasn't funny, that I was a hack, et cetera. And then I had this insight that, you know, because I could go up on one, one week and people wouldn't like my material. And then I could go up on the next week and all of a sudden I'm a hero, right? And people love my material. They were laughing and it was great. And then I, I realized both of these are illusory. Both of the, not, neither of these are real. It gets back to separating, in my opinion, for the what from what, what you are. There's a pretty amazing story that uh, that Deepak Chopra, he, he actually did this meditation where he said, okay, what I want you to do is start off and, and go through a meditation and you say, I am Chris Tabish, I am a consultant. So you say your name and what you do. And then all of a sudden you say, okay, let's stop what you do and just say, I am Chris Tabish. And then you would meditate, I am Chris Tabish. And then you would just start to say, I am. That process, I, he so succinctly put it in a meditation but that is the process of stand-up comedy. It's separating you from your material. You aren't your material. Now, obviously, you think it's funny. You think it's of worth, or you wouldn't be up on stage articulating that. But you are not one and the same. You're a separate being. And so, and it really helps, actually, when whether that be on stage, whether that be at work, because we all get criticized, whether in traffic. I mean, we all get criticized at some point in time. But that isn't you. You are a light being of this universe, however you define that, but you are not your material. Getting up there, failing, 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 and then succeeding and then failing, it's, it's okay, there's something going on over here and I can learn the craft, but I can separate that from myself. And that actually gives, at least it gave me, more courage to grow and learn and try and do different things. And it's easy when you look outside of yourself to other people, you're like, oh, they've failed. But it's not a, they're a loser. For me, it's more like, oh, they failed. And that actually gives me more courage to like, I can try something new. We, we don't actually see how we look from the outside 
in when we fell, but it's actually my, I think it actually gives others inspiration, not look down on us as we think it would. I think most people stay stuck because of the fear of judgment if they fail. And what I don't think people are really open their eyes to is you're getting judged when you succeed. You know, maybe not as loudly or maybe you're oblivious to it if you feel good about what you're doing. But if, if you're a top level seven figure CEO, one of your employees thinks you're an asshole. Like, you know, like somebody's all like, look at the, you know, he doesn't work as hard as I do, and he's driving the Mercedes into work, and you know. Wait, did you did you talk to him before the show? Because yeah. it wasn't no. <laughs> you're going to get judged whether you're successful or whether you're failing. You might as well just be true to yourself, because the worst judgment at the end of the day is really the self judgment when you know that you're not showing up for life. That's. Very well put. And in addition to that, when we do good and we, we get, I'll say, judged, we also get sort of typecast. You know, in my career, when I was doing what I was doing, I was pretty good at it. Uh, was probably wasn't great at it. I was pretty good. I got positive feedback. So all of a sudden, I, I've attached that identity to me. And, oh, what do I need to keep doing? I need to keep doing what I'm doing because if I do any different, I fail. And me as a as a being, as am a failure. You're right. You actually get judged. And that's where I think people end up a lot of time going day after day, week after week, year after year in the same position because they're judging themselves on something that, to your point, they've succeeded at. And so they need to keep feel like they need to keep going, even though it doesn't meld with who they are. You spoke earlier to the cost of staying in a career where you were frustrated, where you weren't happy and it taking a toll emotionally on the family. How have your relationships changed as you've stepped into this identity of just allowing yourself to be Chris, who is a consultant, but also a stand-up comic? As you've really owned who you are, how are things different for you when it comes to interpersonal relationships? I used to have this Again, illusion <laughs> that if I were this stand-up comic and everywhere I go, there's a party and, hey, it's me and I'm, I'm authentic. And, and it's not that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to tell you, I actually was probably more the life of the party when I was living in fear, living in – because I always had to make an impression. I always was looking for that validation. Now, that could have been at work. It could have been in interpersonal relationships. I always kind of had to get that feedback. Now, I actually – kind of realize who my friends are, who my people I really want to invest time in. But other than that, I'm actually, you see me on the street, you're like, that guy does stand up? What are you talking about? He's still just like, he's a lump on a, on a chair sitting next to a lump of shame. What do you, I mean, but <laughs> I, I, I feel like I feel like I have those authentic relationships and the relationships that I have are just are precious to me and they're and they mean a lot to me and I think the other person knows what they mean to me because they know they're getting the real deal. Whereas before I, I was fun. I was uh, I would I would connect with people but it was it was very shiny veneer and wanting to get that validation. Inside I think I'm much more I know I'm much more fulfilled, I'm much more content, but, but it's not on the surface as I would have thought, if that makes sense. You know, it's really interesting because I've been having this conversation with, with people over the past few weeks that are close to me. My background was in radio, and I was a guy for many years that put on this shiny veneer, and that's how I would connect with people is, you know, kind of creating this outrageous personality, you know, say things just for the sake of getting a reaction on the radio. And, and it was interesting because some of it might even be mean-spirited. In fact, some of it certainly was mean-spirited, but it would get a reaction. 
And if people reacted negatively and judged me, I would still justify it as, oh, well, that's just, you know, my on-air persona. People people don't know the real me. But I would never really go deeper with people at all. And I always looked at my sense of humor. And especially once I sort of went through my dark night of the soul and made this change into launching a coaching business, I always looked at my sense of humor as almost being a bad thing. That it was it was all about me. It was about me getting my needs met. It was about me getting approval or getting validated. And one of the shifts I've made recently is that you can still be true to yourself and that your sense of humor is still a gift because you can give that in service of other people. And you can say something that brightens somebody's day, or if you have a quick wait, you can bring somebody out of a bad emotional place and and be a source of positivity. How can people really tap into that and use their sense of humor in the workplace for the person who maybe was afraid to speak up before, or they've been told that they're too much? Isn't there a way that we can use our humor to benefit an organization and to provide value to clients, coworkers, bosses, et cetera? A lot of people might be thinking that's that's actually how I thought about using humor and people are going to perceive as, you know, I'm going to tell a knock-knock joke in a board meeting. And, you know, that's not what I would recommend. Sure. Um, I think to your point, I think a lot of people look at that as, as like, oh, that's humor is not really going to mix. When I talk about humor in the book and, and, and co- using comedy in the workplace, it's actually peeling back the layers of humor. And what I mean by that is in order to get to a place of being funny, think about what needs to happen. Typically, the funniest situations that I've seen, they weren't scripted. They were very spontaneous. Something happens, somebody makes a remark, and it's just everybody's laughing. Well, what happened is, first and foremost, everybody had to be present. They couldn't be thinking about tomorrow. They couldn't be thinking about the past. They couldn't be thinking about the math equation of where we're going to invest. They had to be in the room, present, connecting with other people. The next thing is they had to be authentic. And what I mean by that is if something happened, they weren't going to mask it. They weren't going to say, well, I don't see anything and I don't acknowledge that. Something awkward happens. You know, people a lot of times pretend it just just never happened. But they call the spade a spade. And that's being authentic with a situation and, and conveying it to others. Now, it may or may not be funny. People may laugh, they may not laugh, but those things that are present for humor are the same things that are present to have an effective outcome in a meeting. And so what I might suggest is not to go into a situation thinking I'm going to tell a great knock-knock joke at a board meeting, but to really be present. Um, Just like on, you know, imagine yourself on a comedy stage. It's like skiing down a really intense hill. You can't be anywhere else but on that stage. And you have to be in the room with people. If somebody falls down, which actually has happened on a, on a stand-up cage, somebody fell off the bar stool, you can't just simply ignore that. You have to respond to that and calling it what it is. And so that's where I get the lessons from comedy and applying them to the business world. It's not to you know try to write jokes. It's really to that foundation of humor mm. uh, that really makes us a powerful business person as well as a comedian. Can anybody learn to be funny? Yes, when I started getting into comedy, I used to look at, you know, the great, some of the, uh, you mentioned, I used to look at, you know, Jerry Seinfeld or, or Robin Williams is one of my favorites, sure. favorites or, or Sam Kinison. But then I, I used to, you know, try to be like them. And if I was like them, then I was funny, but the funny was only a moment, just a glimpse. 
it was like, hey, I would tell a joke that sort of emulated uh, Robin Williams, like he's crazy guy, you know, and then all of a sudden it was a mask and I had to take it off and then be myself. And people would be like, wait a minute, you're really not that guy, kind of like you mentioned in your radio personality. Sure. So I think what is people's a lot of what was my expectation, I think what a lot of people's expectation is I need to be funny like Robin Williams or I need to be funny like Jerry Seinfeld. But I don't think that that's what I don't think is. Uh, is worth trying to attain or possible in a lot of cases. What I do think is that you can be funny to yourself, for yourself, for what you have inside of you. My humor, if you were to compare that to Robin Williams, is completely different. Or Jerry Seinfeld, I'm a goofball when I'm up on stage. And I'm, you know, I tell stories about my kids and uh, the things that they do and the, and the crazy things we do as a family in a lot of cases. That's some, not something, for example, that Sam Kinison would, I mean, that's completely different. So I wouldn't be meet, meeting that Sam Kinison mark. But for me and what I think is funny, yes. And I think other people find it funny too. But I think first and foremost finding that funny mark within yourself and what what is funny to you and for that yes absolutely i think everybody can be become funny and just articulating what your point of view is and why you think is funny is a gift that i think we all have for the person listening today perhaps stand up is not their thing but everybody has their thing that is going to allow them to express themselves freely for you it's been comedy where would your life be today in 2019, nine years later, had you not given yourself permission to pursue this passion? Oh, wow. Great question, Dan. Um, well, I certainly wouldn't be on this podcast. Let's take that for start. But, and, and what a tragedy for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure that I would have had the same, just being real about it, I'm not sure that I would have been able to keep my family. Mm. I truly believe that. I mean, you can only live with somebody for so long that is living outside of themselves, that is not being present, that is holding on to a lot of anger. That That's just not, you know, I mean, if I were my wife, I would be like, uh, what are you still doing here with me? This is, you know, you got to move on. This is got to like, you got to find joy in your life. I don't think I would have had the courage to start my own consulting company. Um, I don't think I would have had the courage to just have some of the authentic relationships that I have, I don't think I would have felt joy and fulfillment. I mean, the way that I do, I, I would have been in a lot, large part living in fear and however way to articulate that. But that's, I think, I think that's would have been the case. Beautiful. And I admire the vulnerability of that. One last question. If, if you got to get up on stage, you had one final time in front of a microphone and it was the last message that you could leave for the world up on stage. What is it that you'd want people to know? Well, I would leave this quote that I've heard. I think it applies here. I think it's be yourself because everybody else is taken. That is the magic of life. That is why we're here is to experience. Uh, everybody has a unique experience and everybody has a gift to share with the world. It's uh, playing uh, below that. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve anybody. It's something that if you tap into, there's magic. When you think about depriving other people of your gift, people say, come on, really? I've got a gift that I'm, I'm depriving the world? That doesn't make, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm just me, you know? But think about every single song you've heard, every, or you love, every movie you love, every sitcom you love, every, anything, any building that you love, any, anything that's been manifested in this world that you love that brings you joy. And if that, if that thing hadn't been created, it would have deprived you of joy. 
that song that you wake up to on Monday morning, that, that movie line that you quote with friends that, that bring you both joy, if that wouldn't have been created, you wouldn't have experienced the joy. And so just like that, if those people wouldn't have gotten into touch with their magic with themselves, they would have deprived other people. Likewise, if, if you don't get in touch with your magic, if you're in yourself, you're depriving other people of joy. Be yourself. So find that magic. Find what's inside of you and share it with the world. It's the greatest gift that you can give. I love that. It's a beautiful message. And I think sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that, you know, where the feelings of self-doubt or self or lack of worthiness come in where people are like, oh, my God, who am I to change the world? Like nobody says you have to, but there's something within you that could make a difference in your community. There's something within you that if you express it is going to change your kids' lives or set them up for success when they're adults. It could be the change you make on one person that you ha- that you happen to come across and you say something that changes the trajectory of their life. But it doesn't really matter the number of people to some degree because that's just more of like a, a vanity thing. It's just about showing up in service at the end of the day and everybody has a unique way that they're, that they're able to do that. And you are certainly an example of it, Chris. Really appreciate the time today. The book is Comediology. Be more more effective and fulfilled in business with comedy. People can find that on Amazon and where can they find you online if they want to find some more of your uh, more of your material. Thanks Dan. Yeah, the book is uh, on Amazon. It's also on Audible, read by yours truly. If you can stand my voice for that long and they can find me at comediology.com. Perfect. Thank you so much for the time, Chris. This was awesome. Dan, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, I love the vulnerability that he brought to the table in that interview, and it's one of the biggest things that I hear and see from new clients is this belief that, God, if I make more time for myself, if I find my thing, if I reinvent my career, I'm going to hurt the people around me. And it's actually just the opposite. You being stuck, you being stressed, you being overwhelmed is really taking a toll on your family and your friendships, even if you can't see it yet. So I love Chris sharing that anecdote about his effort point. And really love the analogy about those principles of comedy, just being present in the room, being able to speak about what's true. I think corporate America has lost sight of that so much. There's so many people who are going in to work every day feeling like they have to wave the company flag and pretend like things are great or just go along with the flow, even when that might not be the case. So the more we can bring our presence and honesty into work and to all of our relationships, uh, the more it's going to benefit everybody. If you love the interview, screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram. You can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. And if you are overworked, overwhelmed, and just generally over your soul-sucking job, but you have been so focused on your career that you don't even remember what your thing is, if you feel disconnected from yourself, that is the best time to find a coach. It's one of the things my clients love most about the coaching process. A lot of times they think they're coming to me to 
find their next career best move and what they do in the process is they really reconnect to who they are and not just the person that they've been conditioned to be in the world. I have some VIP coaching spots open for October. It would be my deepest privilege to serve you. You can get info there and fill out an application at creativesoulcoaching.net. Thank you so much for spending this time with me this week. Don't forget, it is time to turn down the volume on your negativity and turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.